All right. Good morning. Good morning. Now, we are not in the business of uh, advertising church programs. All right. So I'm not a fan of that. I actually did Rooted, and um, I thought it was amazing. And so we're not like just trying to give you other stuff to do because you need more stuff to do. We actually think there's a knitting together because you don't get to pick the people you're in the group with. And um, there's such power in being with people that you don't choose. Because what you discover is that community isn't something that's created, it's something instead that's discovered. And we think some of the worst things that churches do, you know, just all over the place, is we just segment each little demographic into each different box, and we don't think that is... We don't think that's the healthiest expression of biblical community. So, um, last week to sign up, blah, 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 encourage you to do so. Tomorrow, we are starting a pretty significant week in the life of our church. We're calling it Seek Week, and just because we liked how Seek and Week kind of rhymed. Um, Nothing more godly than that, but it's really just an excuse to pray a bunch. And uh, we're going to get together in the mornings. We've got a devotional. Um, we've got paper copies here uh, if, uh, at Guest Central if you want them. Or if you're registered on eNews, you'll get them. Um, and it really is just a, a, a time for us to seek God uh, in terms of what does it mean to be a part of a community like this and to be God's people in the world. And so I highly encourage you to do that. We're going to open up the chapel in the morning. Uh, Every morning, 7 a.m., the chapel is over this way. Um, We're going to gather three times corporately, Monday night, Friday night, and then Wednesday during the day. If you can make any of those, we think it would be a powerful, powerful time. And then uh, a week from tomorrow, we have something called Vision Night. Now, um, we have three services uh, in this room in the mornings. We have two going on in the commons. I did something at our 8 o'clock service that if you've been here for uh, any length of time, I want you to go and watch. I, I ask forgiveness from our church for something very specifically. Nothing like illegal or moral or anything like that. But uh, we had a really important conversation that if you've been here, that I don't want to repeat here. I want to get to the teaching. Um, but if you've been here for any length of time, would you please go watch this? We're going to put it on the website and call it 8 o'clock special. Um, it wasn't a sermon. It was just more of a conversation for uh, some folks. Because if you're new to our church, this is a 60-year-old community. And any time um, you are in the midst of, of 60 years of God being glorified and God using the church... Uh, and then you get into a season where there's lots of changes, there's lots of conversation that takes place. And so this was addressing some of that. Highly encourage you to take a look at that. This teaching will be put online for those folks that missed it because this will change your life in the next half hour. Or not. Um, grab a Bible. Let's go to Luke. Now, if you remember what we were doing, how was that for a tease for the 8 o'clock special? That was awesome. Um, what I really am apologizing for is not wearing shorts and flip-flops because I'm watching Steve up here thinking that looks more like Jesus than jeans do. I'm just not going to lie. Now, um, what I want to do is we're in the middle of a three-week conversation about what are the things in our church uh, that we would want for everybody who calls this place home to uh, live into, to experience and there are three identity statements that we think are true of you if you're in Christ. Uh, the first one is that you're a disciple. And as a disciple, you're invited to follow Jesus and not just believe, but to follow. 
We also believe that we're family. And, and look around. Um, what Jesus is going to do this morning is just to remind us a bit that this turns out, this spiritual family turns out to be um, even more significant than your biological family. And if you think that's offensive today, it was even worse back then. And so we invite you to connect as family. And then lastly, you're a missionary. Your job isn't just to simply hoard blessing or to have God be your cosmic life coach and, and kind of put you at the center of the universe. Your job is to pass along anything you've received from Jesus. If you've received forgiveness, you forgive. If you receive love, you love. I mean, that's the idea. It's all instrumental. And so following Jesus means you're presenting yourself to be available to further his work in the world. And so we invite you to follow as a disciple, connect as a family, and go as a missionary. Today we're going to look at connect. And to kind of set it up, we're going to go to Luke uh, 11. But before we do, we've got some iPad today, guys. And let me just say, I know how much you love it. Because you email me overwhelmingly and you ask for more iPad. And so I, as a man who wants to honor the wishes of people, because I, I always, all right, now let me see here. All right, so go ahead and fire this up, if you would. I want to talk briefly. See, it takes a lot of talent to put together something like this, all right? You see how that, uh, this thing called PowerPoint, it's fantastic. You should try it. It's amazing. Life-changing. Uh, one of us is in a good mood. Now, in ancient Near Eastern society, uh, they were called something that was a strong group society versus we are a weak group society in 21st century America. Now, a strong group society means this, that your identity is found in your relationship to a group of people. Your identity is not found in following your own dreams or whatever. Right, so it's the Disney world view versus what the, the, the kind of culture the Bible was written into, which says that, listen, genealogies mattered because you were always the son or daughter of somebody. Your identity was embedded in the group. Your, your blood ties were central to that identity, for sure. And the good of the group was more important than the good of the individual. So if you had to pick between the good of the individual, the good of the group, the good of the group always one. And so, um, you, for instance, you, you would not just choose your mate. The community would have a say in choosing your mate back in the day. You did not just choose your vocation. The community had a say in choosing your vocation. Now, as a bunch of rugged American individualists, that just sounds horrifying. But you have to understand, there, there is a set of values embedded in the New Testament that unless we draw them out, we read it as a bunch of individuals. So when the Bible says, hey, put on the whole armor of God, we think that's just written to you. That's written to a church. Almost all of the yous in the Bible are plural in the New Testament. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling, that's to a church. Right? It's not just you and Jesus that we're talking about. It is you and the community of Jesus. So back in the ancient Near East... The family was the central organizing unit of society. So your family, and it's not just your immediate family, but your extended family, your ancestors, I mean, all of that was the central way life was organized. Thirdly, that family was centered around the father. So this was pure patriarchy. This was the father held the power of life and death over that family. He was the ultimate authority, even if you had adult sons. The father, I see you ribbing your kid right there. I love that. Now let me hasten to add, this was the way it was under the fall, not the way it was supposed to be. 
But back in that, back in the, yeah, and then the wife says, yes. It's, oh, anyway, there's so many rabbit trails right there. But back in the day, the father, it was patriarchy. The father was the center hub of the family. He was the highest authority and he would have the power of life and death. So under Roman law, um, once a child was born into the family, even into the extended family, the child will be brought to the father. If the father turned his back on the child, the child will be put away, sent out and exposed to die. If the, if the father grabbed the child, the father was welcoming the child into the family. The father arranged the marriages. The father did everything. Now, if you were a child of a father, you had three responsibilities. First responsibility was to honor, bring honor to the father's name. Because bringing honor to the father meant you were honoring the family name. Secondly, you were to do the father's will. Your father was the authority over you. And thirdly, it was to bear children. It was to further the family name. These were your three responsibilities. And your work and your marriage and all that other stuff was facilitating that. Make sense? Because bloodline was so central, go ahead, fire this back up. Your ultimate allegiance was to your blood family. Now, if you were a child of a father, you shared your father's blood. Your mom was, was, your mother was actually embedded in a different kinship group. So it was your father's blood that mattered. And your, and the closest ties you would have to kin, to family, weren't found in your spouse or your children. It was found in your brothers and sisters because they shared the same blood as your dad. So, one author says it this way. Now, this relevance is coming, okay? The relationship, one author said it this way, the relationship between siblings, brothers and sisters, is the closest, strongest, and most intimate of relationships in the ancient world. Now, you have to understand, the most sacred obligation in Judaism, next to loyalty to Yahweh, was loyalty to your parents. So, when Jesus starts doing stuff like this, I just want you to see how crazy this becomes. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying, and he was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Now, Matthew has a slightly expanded version of this, but let's just stick with Luke's for a second. What's the first word of that prayer? Father. Now that wasn't unknown in Judaism because Israel was considered God's son and God was known as father. But Jesus starts calling God my father. My father. He doesn't do it here, but he does it lots of other places. And so what he's beginning to do is to redefine who are, he's redefining something called kinship. Who has the ultimate allegiance over you in a strong group society? What group is most important? For you to find your identity in, well, he's going to start relocating all the patriarchy. He's going to take that now and say, Abba is your father, and my disciples are your family. Go, if you would, um, to Luke chapter 8. And I want you to see just a little bit about how scandalous this would have been in a strong Middle Eastern culture where your family identity, that was the, you didn't have an individual social security number, you didn't graduate individually, you didn't have an individual resume, you were known as the son or daughter of your father. Or you were known from the place that you came. So Jesus would have been known as Jesus bar Joseph, Jesus son of Joseph, or Jesus of Nazareth. 
He was never just Jesus. And Christ, by the way, was not his last name. He was not born of Mr. and Mrs. Christ, just to be clear. Notice Luke chapter 8, verse 19. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. Now Mark tells us that they came to see him because they thought he was acting crazy. They thought he was out of his mind. Okay? He's embarrassing their family, in other words. So they go to take charge of him. Now Jesus' mother and brother came to see him. Mothers and brothers came to see him. Mother and brothers. But they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, hey, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. Jesus replies, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Now, if you're Mary and the rest of the family sitting outside the house, how stoked are you on that answer? Zero. Because what's Jesus doing in that moment? Jesus is redefining the social group that is most important for your identity. And it's not your biological family. It is the kinship family that Jesus is now developing with his disciples. Go, if you would, uh, to Luke chapter 11. We're going to see just a couple of themes here. Now, we're going to do a bit of, uh, we're going to look at probably six or seven more texts that are all going to say the same thing, and then we'll make some relevant points. All right, so look at me. If you're new, relevance 15 minutes out, all right? Luke chapter 11, verse 27. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave birth, who gave you birth and nursed you. Now, the typical Jewish response would have been yes. Instead, Jesus responds, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. You see a theme so far. Go to chapter 14. Go to chapter 14, and we looked at this last week if you were with us, when there was a big old inner tube involved. Luke 14, verse 25. Now, again, we could spend hours talking about the difference between a strong group culture and a weak group culture. All right? I just brushed it over because I didn't think you'd find it terribly interesting. We, as a weak group culture that emphasized the needs of the individual over the needs of the group, cannot understand how offensive the words that Jesus is about to say would be. They're offensive to us, way more, way more offensive to those folks back in the day. So, verse 25, chapter 14, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, we talked last week about what Jesus is doing here is he's inviting people to understand that Jesus isn't, the invitation of Jesus isn't to sprinkle a little Jesus kind of on your life so that you stay in charge of the thing. It's to really abandon yourself completely to his lordship and his governorship over you. One of the things you had to be called out of in order to be called in of something were your kinship ties. So Jesus says, if you do not hate your blood family. Now, like we said last week, hate here doesn't mean emotional hate. It's a volitional, it's a, it's a volition word, not an emotion word. It means choosing to turn your back and detach from this group to now attach to this group. What Jesus isn't saying is, hey, put me first and everyone else second. He's not saying that. He's saying, this family of mine is more important than the family you've already had. 
to an Israelite society where bloodline was the most significant thing about you, highly, highly, highly offensive. What Jesus is saying simply is this. Do you honor your mother and father? Of course. He did that. But you do it not because they're your source of primary identity. You do it now because you've moved to the family of disciples. And as you are healed and, and brought put, and put back together in the family of disciples, then you're able to go, black, to go back and honor your mother and father without being defined by them. Do you see how radical this turns out to be? What Jesus is doing is saying, hey, you have a, a different family. Now, if you come from a great family, this is like, well, yeah, but I have a great family. Consider yourself blessed. Because I think that's increasingly the exception rather than the rule, right? I think for some of us, this is great news. That my family doesn't define me. In fact, what the New Testament writers do, go if you would to the book of John, is they take this idea that Jesus, Jesus has redefined the most important kinship group in the first century. is isn't your family biologically anymore, but it's this family woe that he's creating. Notice John chapter 1, verse 12. Very famous passage that says this. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Now, we all know this, and we've heard this, and it kind of loses its punch, but back then, I mean, think about the significance of the following statement. Children born not of bloodline, nor of a human decision, or a husband's will. Now, do you see why you'd have to put the husband's will part there? Because back in the day, whoever the, whoever the patriarch was, that was the faith of the rest of the household. Whatever the patriarch believed, everyone believed that. Now, Jesus is saying, is it, if you're a woman, if you're a wife in the first century, your attachment to the family of Jesus is more important than whether your husband gives permission to you or not. That's why Jesus will say later, I've come to turn mothers against mother, or mothers-in-law against daughters-in-law and sons against sons-in-law, or however he says it. It's of in-laws. <laughs> Go view it to Romans chapter 8. So, what we're trying to drive at is this. In a culture where the most important group was your family, Jesus comes along and redefines it around himself in obedience to him. Then what the later New Testament writers do is they begin to talk about how you've been adopted into God's family. Okay, so they take an image that was totally prevalent back in the day of adoption and they start applying it to you. So notice Romans 8 verse 14. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. See, so many of us still live in fear before our God. Rather, the Spirit you receive, this Holy Spirit, brought about your adoption to sonship and daughtership as implied. And by this Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. So we receive by grace what Jesus is by nature, in other words. Jesus was the Son of God. We get adopted into that whole family. So God is our Father through Jesus. And now, who are these people next to you? If we share a common Father, who are these people? These are brothers and sisters. Now, to us, that sounds like an old-fashioned church picnic term, right? Hey, brothers and sisters, it's time for some fellowship. In the time this was written, what is the most significant bond? 
brothers and sisters because they share the family DNA through the father. So what is being said now is the most radical redefinition of group life you could have argued for in the first century. Namely, that it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what your family's done, what your name is, who your relatives are, what your genealogy is, what your social status is, what Jesus is doing now is subsuming all that other identity into one. Namely, you are a son or a daughter of father. And as a son or daughter of a specific father, a heavenly father, an Abba father, you are now brothers and sisters. Your primary allegiance, in other words, isn't even to your own bloodline. It's now to other disciples. That's the significance of this. And for some of us who've been negatively defined by our families, this is great news. I come from a broken home. Parents divorced when I was nine. I've talked about it a bunch. I remember specifically, as I got older, looking for a family that I could be a part of. Because my parents had joint custody. Monday night, Thursday night, Friday night, and all day till six, I was with mom. rest of the time, I was with dad. And hallelujah, they loved me, they were great. But guess what I didn't have? I didn't know my grandparents. I didn't have roots. I was always living out of a bag, traveling back and forth. So I go to college. I graduate from college in four years. Nope, no, it's all right. It's just, it's uncommon. And um, <laughs> I'm just teasing. And, and, and what do I begin to look like? What do I begin to look for? Even as a single guy, I was looking for families. I was looking for parents and grandparents. I loved sitting at dinner tables with intact families. In fact, once my wife and I got married, we got adopted into a family of eight biological children. So we were just two more. And we loved it. Do you know Why? Because both of us had come from broken homes. And even though we were adopted, we did all the holidays with them because we loved. And was that a legitimate expression of family? Well, according to this, absolutely. Why? Because we share a common father. Go, if you would, to the book of Galatians. One more, saying the same thing. Because if there's a spiritual gift of overmaking a point, I have it and utilize it ruthlessly. <laughs> Because I know what I'm competing with. I'm, re- I'm competing with fantasy football right now. I'm competing with lunch plans. I know what I'm competing with. So my only weapon is repetition. Galatians chapter 4. Hey, how many, of you, how many of you are in college? Raise your hand. Hey, that is awesome. Welcome. How many of you are Biola? Okay, all right, there's, there's a connection. How many of you... How many of you are at a real college? Uh, I mean, no, I don't. I just met a. No, 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 I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing. I just, no, no. Just, I'm just kidding. I'm just. Go Pirates. I was joking with them. Eagles. You know, it's got to be some sort of. If you're a Christian college, it's got to be some sort of, you know, Eagles or Lions or Dolphins, you know, which is awesome. But it rules out some of like the, the better nicknames, you know? Titans. I mean, that's awesome. Ah, come on. I'm just... All right. Repetition. Galatians chapter 4. Verse 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to... Sonship. Now, in a patriarchal culture, sonship was the predominant way adoption was expressed, but daughtership, of course, is implied here. 
Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Since you are no longer a slave, but God's child, and since you are His child, God has made you an heir. Now, this, over and over and over again, one of the great pictures of salvation in the Bible is your adoption into God's family. So there's a courtroom image. God has justified you in a courtroom. There is a slave market image where God has redeemed you out of slavery into freedom. But then there is also a family image where in Christ, God has adopted you into his family. You have an entirely new identity and status that's based on him, not based on you or any of your background. It's good news. The implication then is that this, this church, is to be known primarily as a family. So, household imagery is all over the Bible when it talks about the church. Go to 1 Timothy, if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And, I mean, think about it this way. What were the three responsibilities of children? Honor the Father's name, do the Father's will, bear more children, right? So, what's the Lord's prayer in Matthew's account? Our Father, may your name be hallowed, honoring His name. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, doing His will. Matthew ends with the Great Commission, making more of you. I mean, you could actually take all of the commands about how to be children of God and put them into one of those three responsibilities. Honor His name, create more children, and do His will. That's what it means to call God Abba Father. It's not just that He loves you and He's warm and fuzzy. It's that, yes, but embedded in that are responsibilities. Paul particularly uses this household idea to talk about us. Now, this is where relevance is going to come close. Because nobody looks at church like this. Nobody. Church is an optional consumer product. That is a weekly event where one person talks and a band plays and we all sit there and see if it's good, we'll come back. That's church in America. That just is true. No one's going to go home talking about, hey, man, was Jesus glorified today? It's all, hey, did I like that? Was that good? And I just think one of the reasons why the church in America is dying is because we're doing it for us and not for him. Right? Our group attachments aren't to each other. It's just to us. And if Jesus helps me, if this helps me, then I'm a part. That's why it's so easy to bounce from relationship to relationship, from church to church, and just skim over the course of life. Because to be embedded as an identity in the family of God, it's a messy family. Can I get an amen? <laughs> First Timothy. Man, I'm running so late. Dang. All right, real quick. First Timothy 3, verse 14. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so you know, know that if I'm delayed, you will know how people of God ought to conduct themselves in what? In God's household, which is the church of the living God. All right, so God's the Father, this is a household, and we're brothers and sisters. That's the image. Flip over to chapter 5, verse 1. Writing to a young guy. Oh, ma'am, this is so good. This is so good, ma'am. Your love is relentless. <laughs> 1 Timothy 5, verse 1. Written to a young pastor. 
Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your... Treat younger men as... Older women as... And younger women as... Just to be clear with absolute purity. Right? Written to a young man. So how do we see this? See, what the Bible does, and, and it's just so... It's so repetitive is that there are all these statements about how you treat each other. They're called one another statements. So I'm just going to fire through a whole bunch of them. So, rather, Galatians 5, serve one another in love. Ephesians 4, be completely humble and gentle. How completely is completely? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 4, be kind and compassionate to one another. Alright, Colossians 3, bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you have. 1 Thessalonians, encourage one another and build one another up. Hebrews, encourage one another. Hebrews 10, let us consider how we may spur one another on. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. A new command I give you, love one another, just in case we missed it the first time. Romans 12, be devoted to one another. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Galatians 6, carry each other's burdens. Romans 14, let us stop passing judgment on one another. That'd be a great place to start. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Ephesians 5, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters, see that brothers and sisters language is all over. Rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Colossians 3.16, as you admonish one another. James 5, confess your sins to each other. 1 Peter 4, love each other deeply. Alright, you, what you have, what you have is list after list that simply makes this point. This is how families relate to each other. All that is, that's just how families treat each other in a healthy family. In a healthy family, do you have an option of opting out? Nope, those are your relatives. I mean, notice, notice, all of those commands have four things in common. They assume four things. Thing number one it assumes is that you are in community. That does not mean you have Facebook friends. That does not mean you have Twitter or Instagram followers. Being in community means you're with people that you're not going to just exit out of relationship with because time goes by or it gets hard. See, the worst thing, one of the worst things that happens in my job is sometimes people will share things with me that they don't share with other people. And I'll say, does anyone else know that? And they're brutal, heavy things. And they'll say, no, it's just you. You're not built to carry the stuff you carry by yourself. You're hardwired that it's not good that you're alone. Now, the church has to own that sometimes when people come out of hiding, we don't do a very good job with messy. So let's own that part. But let's not also pretend that the goal, the goal is just to have for you and Jesus by yourselves, just to have a great relationship. You can't do that. It doesn't work that way. Salvation is in community. It's from a community to a new community. And in that new community, that's where you work it out. Because the second thing all of those slides assume is that it's messy. Because why else would you say, hey, forgive each other, like several times? Because we're all screwy. And we're working it out. And we're misfits. And we're broken. And we're screwed up. And some of that was earthly family. And some of that's our own doing. And some of it's been done to us. See, you can easily over-idealize church. So one of the things that happens when we hire new people who've never worked at a church before is you have to tell them, 
This isn't a Bible study for the entire week. Like we're, we're all screwed up and we're, we're, we got to, and so all the one another is just assume that as a normal family, we need to forgive each other, be patient with each other. All of those assume it. And by the way, I'm a huge fan of technology. And technology is an expression of community. But how many one another's can you do online? A few. How many one another's can you do in an hour in a crowd like this? Couple? See, the assumption embedded in the New Testament is that this is a household. God is our Father. We are brothers and sisters. And as any good family, we have to work it out. We don't have the option of choosing the other kids. Anyone who calls the name on Jesus, on this name of Jesus, this is part of the family. And so, because I'll have people say, hey, we're leaving the church. It's just not what we need. Totally. I get that. There are lots of great churches. But the danger is in thinking that another church is going to be perfect when your previous one wasn't. And if you find a church that's perfect, don't go there because you'll ruin it, right? I mean, there's just no, there's just no such thing. The other thing this assumes is that it's totally worth it. That it's completely worth it. That if you do the hard work, it's actually worth it. So for my wife and I, to do the hard work of finding, praying, asking, hey, will anyone adopt this? See, we, we don't know our grandparents, so we adopt grandparents. We have Patty. Patty is what, 80, babe, 81? She's adopted us. We've adopted her. It's fantastic. My kids love her. Now, they have other grandparents, but they live far away. I mean, we just think, listen, the worst thing we can do as a church is take all the young people and put them over here and take all the old people and put them over here because who do the young people need? Well, even though they won't admit it, what they really want is old people. And the old people, even though they won't always admit it, what they want is young people. So we have this generational horribleness that goes on in church. And it's fought over worship and it's fought over all kinds of things. Why do the young kids love loud drums? Why do the old people not love loud drums? I mean, you just, and it's just like, no, none of us, hey, none of us get to opt out of this. Right? This is what we signed on for. If you follow, you are part of a family. And in that family, you got to work it out. Central to the family is preferring the needs of the other. And nobody does that. Nobody. This is an entertainment gathering. This, and I look at it the same way. I put, I don't know how many hours a week into my little half hour teaching that no one's really going to remember two hours from now. We've, def- we've so mystified the whole thing, right? So this church is great worship, and this church, no. If a church is focused on Jesus, it's good no matter what kind of music it has, no matter what, how good the preaching is. Do you, I think it's a, fa- I'm ranting. I am ranting right now. <laughs> because people will say to me, People will say to me, well, I'm, I'm coming here because I don't like the teaching at my old church. And I'm going, what are you talking about? You have access via technology, to the best teaching in the history of the planet. Right? Stay in your local church. Bless it. Financially support it. Commit to it. And if the teaching doesn't meet your needs for that half hour a week, then you've got hours on iTunes. Right? From Tim Keller and who else? To feed your soul. I mean, there is no excuse 
to not commit to a body of believers who is imperfect and screwed up. And we, as a fragmented, family-less generation, need this more than any group of people in the history of our planet. Yes, millennials, you invented Facebook. Congratulations, it's awesome. But it's not what you need. Twitter, great, awesome, not what you need. So many of you come from broken homes. The church is to be the place where you get reparented and grandparented. And if you're here and you're old and you're like, well, I don't like how many old, young kids are here. Do you understand? We need you. We need you. Because a family without grandparents isn't a family. Right? See, for me, this is central. This isn't about attendance to a program. This is about how do you see your place in this world? Are you just alone with whatever group of friends you can collect? Or are you part of billions? You have a family everywhere you go now. You just don't know who they are. I mean, how do you see this? See, this calls into question our rampant individualism. It does for me. Because I have all preferences, right? I like it this way and this and this and this. No, what Jesus is inviting me into is something far more grand and beautiful and powerful because when Jesus said they will know that you are my disciples let me, let me think about how he finished that sentence You'll, the, the world will know that you are my disciples because you have fishes stamped on your car no the world will know you are my disciples because you are politically act no oh it's right it's that you actually embody the family that you are that you love each other well, how, how easier is it to judge each other? I mean, one of our favorite pastimes is something I call triangulation. All right? So, Tim. This is Tim. I have a problem with Tim. Look at him. He's got too much hair. I'm jealous. Okay? Let's say I've got an issue with Tim. He's either offended me. Maybe he doesn't even know he's offended me. All right? What is the favorite church pastime? I'm going to go to Jim and say, Jim. Tim. <laughs> you know what he did? You know what he said? You know how lame that was? How offensive that was? Matthew 18 says, I go to him, but what do I love to do? Well, I'd rather gather a, a bit of a coalition. Right? See, this plays out in the most specific of ways. So, if you're here, and you've been here for a long time, we always have to remember that not only is our mission to the world, our mission is to the next generation too. So, the church should always slant towards those who are coming up in the faith. I just think that's a biblical picture. And if you're here and you're young, you're a Biola pirate, just kidding. I actually, I went there. I mean, I love it. I'm just picking on you. If you're here and you're young, the temptation's just going to be, well, I'm at Christian school, and, and you just kind of skim, and you bounce from relationship to relationship, from friendship to friendship, from group to group, church to church. And that whole time, you don't realize what you're doing. You're just being formed around you. You're the center of that whole thing. You're never allowing the family to come along and be in the mess with you. 
You're not allowing the family to come along and be the father you never had or the mother you wish you'd had or the brothers and sisters you didn't have. And I believe fundamentally that's what you're looking for. And that's at its best what this could be. So close your eyes for a moment if you would. We had a whole large set of worship planned that I just killed by going so long. But I want to pray over you. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, mighty God, you love your bride, the church. And um, we've just so reduced that into such a small little portion of all that it should be that we just pray that you'd wake us up and we pray for grace that the generations would love and honor each other and not be suspicious of each other. That the generations would bless each other. And that reconciliation would be at the forefront of what we're about. And so, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that this community would look more and more like you. That you would increase and we would decrease. And we bless your name. Amen.